Don't stop praying for people. Pray for the impossible. We serve a God that does the impossible. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. As the uh, slide gets on the the screen of of above, you'll see that the the verses are verse 5 through 79. The long chapter, that Luke chapter 1. A lot of good stuff in there. We won't be looking at all of it per se. I want to read the first couple of verses of it. Uh, this will be the second uh, message regarding Christmas. Um, as you know, we're getting closer to December 25th. Next Sunday is our Christmas play. Uh, we're really excited about that. We'll have everyone from first service here, one service that day. Uh, but today's message is about uh, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, and uh, their son John, who was John the Baptist. So let me, let me read uh, Luke chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 5 through 10, and then we'll be uh, referring to the rest of the chapter as we go along today. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at that hour of incense. Father, Lord God, thank you for your word and thank you for the wonderful account of all the integral things that happened to bring to bring about the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for last Sunday's word about the shepherds. We pray your blessing upon this message today about Zacharias. I ask you, Lord, anoint my lips and my mind and my heart that I may proclaim your truth without any, without holding back anything. Let it, let it just flow freely. Let me speak, Lord, with, with wisdom and compassion. And may your word be received by everyone that hears this message. We pray, Lord, as we often pray, that in the process of this, that you would be glorified and that the church would be edified. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we've entitled the message today, The Song of Zacharias, and uh, we'll see how this unfolds. But here's the background of, the, of, the, uh, of this story. Um, it's been quiet in Israel. In other words, no prophetic word, no, no writings of what's been happening, no recording of anything for 400 years that we know of. There's no indication, anything. God was silent for 400 years. That would be like going back in time to the year 1619 until now. That's 400 years. And think about all the things that have happened, that God did so many fantastic things. But, but in that day, from, from that year until this year, 400 years went by. There's no indication that anything was happening. And so I think I, I would be safe in saying that Israel was uh, waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. They were waiting for the Messiah. Incidentally, this morning at the early service, we had a visitor uh, that one of our brothers met at the mall yesterday, just by divine uh, coincidence. Um, the brother was from Bethlehem, 
Now, someone said, New Hampshire? And he said, no, 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 Palestine. I was from Bethlehem, and I thought, you mean Israel? He goes, no, no, I'm from Bethlehem, Palestine. Bethlehem is in Palestine, not Israel. Back then it was in Israel, but now it's in Palestine. But anyway, this brother came. He's a born-again believer. He's here for two weeks, and he heard this whole message about the Jewish customs and so forth. It's pretty interesting. But anyway, so Israel's waiting for the Messiah to come. I think Isaiah 9, 6 comes into play, because that prophecy was, uh, um, among other prophecies, a child is born to you. You know, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But year by year, they were waiting for this. Decade by decade, they're waiting. Now, some of us could think in terms of decades. I can think in terms of like three decades ago. I can think like that. There was, so, so year by year, things were going by, and there was no, no, no word, no indication that anything was happening. Now, the last word that was given is from the book of, from the prophet Micah, but from Micah to Matthew, there, there's, or Luke, there's 400 years that went by. So in this setting, uh, we see a very ordinary couple doing what they do. They're serving God. They're trusting God. They're serving in the temple. They're dealing with life's issues the best way that they can. Their problem was that they were elderly. They didn't have any children and she was barren and she, they were dealing with that. Verse number 25. Now, if you just look at the verses, as I say to them, it'll just help us move quicker through the rest of this message. But verse 25 says that she was feeling like a reproach among the people that she didn't have a child and she felt bad about that. So she had a problem. She was she was feeling unfulfilled, and um, and uh, Zacharias was elderly, without a son or a daughter. It had a certain stigma attached to that at the time. But in spite of that, they they we find them serving God uh, according to the Jewish structure that was set up, and uh, the, the custom was that each every six months a, a certain division of the Jewish priest would come to serve in the temple. So every six months there was a turnover. Um, but there were 17 divisions. So they had to wait probably like seven or eight years for their turn to come. So anyway, now it was the, the, the division of Abijah, it says. So that, that team of priests was ready to minister. And, um, as they were ministering then, they had to decide who was going to go into the inner circle or the inner, the inner temple to burn incense before the Lord. And so they drew lots for that to happen. And the lot fell to Zacharias. And um, so he went in there, verses 8 and 9, uh, to burn incense before the Lord. And uh, I heard that in the tradition of the priest, whenever they did something like that, they would wear uh, a, a wraparound with, a, with bells on it. Just in case they fell down under the anointing of God, someone on the outside would hear the bell ringing and go in and get them out. So he probably had that bell on just in case something like that happened. But as he's there, the story picks up. I'm just going to read selected verses. In verse number 11, uh, we read that Gabriel, now we, we know it was Gabriel from verse number 19. But anyway, Gabriel appears to this man, Zacharias. And he says, Zacharias, your prayers are answered. You know, you've been praying for a son. Your wife's going to get pregnant. You're going to have a baby. So hallelujah. Good news, right? So the, the angel goes on and says, but it won't be just any ordinary type of a son. Verses 15, 16, 17. He's going to be a great man. 
He's going to have certain dietary uh, laws that he goes by, meaning he was going to take the Nazarite vow. Remember later on we hear that John the Baptist would eat locusts and wild honey? And he wore a camel's hair and was a wild man living in the desert? That was all part of the Nazarite vow. He was consecrated, separated unto God. So this angel's telling Zacharias, your son's going to be different. He's going to have an anointing on him like, like the power of Elijah upon him. He'll turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to their heavenly father. He'll turn the father's hearts back to their children. He's going to do a great work in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. It's all good, right? Now he's just serving the Lord, burning incense, doing what he does. And verse number 18 is his response. And basically his response is, how in the world could that happen? My wife is old and she's barren and I'm old. And then Gabriel says in verse 19, I, I feel like Gabriel like, like, was indignant, like, I am Gabriel. You're questioning me? I've been in the presence of God. I have a word from God for you. And you're questioning me? Because you're questioning me, you won't be able to speak for nine months. Wow. Now, now, you have to think about that. Now, you do, because later on, Mary has the same situation where the angel Gabriel appears to you, to her, and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she says, how could that be? I've never been with a man. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. But she wasn't rebuked or ridiculed or, or disciplined for that. So it had to be a matter of the heart. Zacharias' heart, although he was serving, had a little something there that he didn't believe. I don't know if anyone, anyone can relate to that. Sometimes we get so caught up in the busy, we forget about the reality of who we're even serving. So anyway, so, so that happened. And then, uh, so the story picks up. So take your Bible, follow along with me. So in the meantime, Mary has the visitation. She gets pregnant, you know, miraculously. She, in verse number 36, the angel tells Mary, Elizabeth, your cousin or your relative is also going to have a baby. Well, hallelujah. Mary's thinking, Elizabeth, she's almost 100 years old. How's that going to happen? So so there's a miracle there. She's got a miracle over here. And she's like, oh, wow, okay. So then she decides in verse number 39, I'm going to go visit Elizabeth. So she goes, she packs up her stuff and goes to see her, her relative Elizabeth. And uh, in verse number 40, she enters the house of Zacharias and Elizabeth. It happened in verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so something clicked at that moment. And there was a connection and a move of God upon both ladies and both families. So then over to verse number 57. So Elizabeth's time had come. She's ready to give birth to the baby. Zacharias is still not able to speak. And she has a son. So everyone's rejoicing and happy that she had a son. It's a, it's a miracle. And so everyone says, so uh, Elizabeth, what's the baby's name going to be? She says, his name's going to be John. They say, no, 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 that's not a family name. We have to keep the tradition. He has to be named Zacharias or something like that. And she says, no, his name's going to be John. And they don't believe her. So they go to Zacharias and say, Zacharias, what do you want to name this baby? So he gets a writing tablet and he says, his name is John. And, and he says that, and as soon as he said that, it says in verse number, where are we? Verse number 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his lips were, his tongue was working, he began to praise God. After nine months of not being able to speak, he's praising God. So then, so the story kind of concludes in verse number 66. All those who heard these things kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with 
them at this time. So in Judea at this time, God was doing something really supernatural, really special, and really something powerful. And three months after this, three months after that, we read that Mary gave birth to Jesus. So Jesus and John were relatives. We don't know if they were first or second cousins or some type of relative, but they were related. So so I want to give you an overview of this passage before we get into a couple of things that we could hopefully really apply in a more practical way to our lives. The first thing in an overview is that serving the Lord really has its benefits. I don't, I don't, I know that's an understatement, but serving the, the Lord really has uh, great benefits. In verse number six, if you go back, we see that uh, Elizabeth and, and Zacharias were righteous people. They were good people. They were obedient. They were serving the, you know, living out the commandments. They were blameless before God. They were good, solid people. Uh, I, I would put it this way. Church life was a was a integral part of their lives and their routine. Zacharias is serving in the temple. He's going about his business, doing what he does. I always say that the best people in our society, in our culture, are Christian people that belong to a church. I see it all the time when people have integrity and purpose and values. They're always connected to a church and they're serving the Lord. But anyway, so we, we hear that in this setting of, of, of uh, Zacharias serving the Lord, he finds out that his prayers are answered about his wife having a baby. And he's, he's happy. He's perplexed. He finds out also that the baby is going to be somebody really special and unique with a unique calling. And just kind of, if you can think about the 400 years that went by without a visitation from God, this makes it even more powerful and more special. This is like a unique thing that happened. And Zacharias is serving the Lord, finding out the will of God for his life, for his baby, his wife, and so forth. And then the third part about this is that he begins to uh, realize that his unbelief was exposed. I find it interesting that as he was serving the Lord, his unbelief was exposed. So verse number 18, it reminds me that lurking in all of us is this nagging tug of unbelief. Yeah, could that really happen? Did God really say that? Where's God now? Yet, on the other hand, what better place for our faith to be challenged than while we're serving him and while we're in the house of the Lord? He's in the temple. Uh, But what better place, what better realm for God to challenge our hearts than in the house of God as we're serving the Lord? This has great ramifications, actually, because it's, it's a warning on the one hand that although we may be involved in ministry or involved in doing something for the king, for the Lord, there may be that part of us that we're just holding back. We're not even deal, we're too busy to deal with those issues. But the Lord reveals it and the Lord revealed it to Zacharias when he said, how could that be? It reminds me of a couple of passages in the scripture. Um, Mark chapter 9, we won't look at it, but that there's a passage in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus had sent out his disciples to cast out demons and preach the gospel and heal the sick. And there was one little boy that, or one child that they could not cast the demon out of. And uh, Jesus turned to that boy's father and he said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who does believe. And that boy's father said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And there are many times, I've known many people that, that say the same to, thing to the Lord. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. 
Help my unbelief in this one area that I'm, I'm struggling with, with in this one area. It also reminds me of Acts chapter 12 when we, we hear the story where James had been martyred and Peter was thrown in prison in the inner sanctum of the prison, chained up and uh, guarded. But it says, but the church was praying for Peter. And as the story unfolds, that like, like your friend, Wayne, the, the, uh, Peter was supernaturally released from prison by an angel, set free. He goes to the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting was held at John Mark's mother's home. Her name was Mary. And he's knocking on the door. And they're on there praying for Peter. He's knocking on the door. And a young girl says, named Rhoda, comes to the door, peeks through the window and sees Peter and comes running back telling everybody, Peter's at the door. And they're saying, he can't be at the door. He's in prison. But they were praying for him. So, so it's a combination of belief and unbelief. It happens all the time. Sometimes we have to believe in the midst of total unbelief. Believe God for whatever. When everyone else is not, we have to believe in God. And, and work through it. Work through those things. So, uh, so serving the Lord, what I'm saying is, as we serve the Lord, these things are exposed. And we get, we get better. We get fixed with what's wrong with us. The second thing is this, as just as an overview of this story, is that we need the Holy Spirit. We really need the Holy Spirit. And uh, verse number 41, the baby leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. Uh, someone had said to me recently, or I, I read this recently, that um, the first recognition of Jesus as Lord and Messiah was, was given by an unborn baby in defense of the pro-life movement. But is this true, that, that John reacted to the presence of Mary that was carrying, carrying Jesus? But in uh, verse 41, and, and uh, uh, Elizabeth then was filled with the Holy Spirit. But look at what happened after Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She sees Mary in verse number uh, 42. and Now she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she looks at Mary. Now you have to picture Mary might be a little bit uneasy about this whole situation. Being a virgin, not having a family, and Joseph, you know, was with her, but there was, you know, there was things there. So Mary needed a word. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at her and speaks right into her life, into her spirit, into her mind, into her being. You are blessed, Mary. And the fruit of your womb is blessed. I could just picture Mary saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for confirming the whole thing through a person that I love and I trust. And so we we need the Holy Spirit. As Elizabeth spoke, words of encouragement, words of faith, words of confirmation, words of blessing and unity. We need to have the same anointing upon us as we minister to one another. And may I say something here? If, if we know of someone that's been, you know, that's been involved in something that they shouldn't be involved in, our role is to, is one of restoration. It's not one of condemnation. The church is always called to bring restoration to someone. And you may say to that one person, man, I, I knew it, I knew it, I tried to tell you, but hold back on your flesh. And just let God use you by the Holy Spirit to restore that person back to a right relationship with God. That's the Holy Spirit. And I I would throw this out here too. That's what Pentecostals do. That's what real Pentecostals do. They're not judgmental. They're loving. They'll, They'll confront. They'll deal with the sin. But they will restore that person back to the Lord. 
So in this story, we have, verse, if you want to look in your Bible, verse number 35, Mary's overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. John is filled. Now the prophecy about John was that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. So we think he was filled at that point. Verse number 67, the father, Zacharias, he was also filled with the Holy Spirit. The Magi from the East, which we read later about, in Matthew, they were warned, divinely warned in a dream by the Holy Spirit not to go back through Herod, go a different way. And Joseph was warned three times in a dream, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not to or go to Egypt, come back to Israel, settle in Galilee, and so forth. We need the Holy Spirit today. Church, we need the Holy Spirit today. I'm so happy after the early service, there were a couple of new people at the early service. One guy came up to me at the end. He said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me to receive more of the Holy Spirit. I said, no problem, brother. And we prayed for him through just, he was he just realized, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the presence of God. It's so easy to get caught up in the flow of life without the presence of God. We get up, we're running, we go to work, we're taking care of the kids, we're taking care of whatever we have to do, and sometimes we just, we're not under the anointing. But we need the anointing of God. A couple of scriptures here. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, our paraclete, the one who comes alongside of and helps us through life. But Ephesians 1.17, it says that Paul was praying that the Holy Spirit would come to give, give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. I realize I, as a pastor or a teacher or people who teach me or I listen to, we can do all we can do. We can give you all the right information. But unless the Spirit of God takes it and makes it alive in your heart and my heart, it's going to fall by the wayside. The Spirit makes wisdom come alive and revelation come alive in our heart and our spirit. That's why it's so important when we read the Bible. Always pray, Lord God, if you have five minutes, Lord God, speak to me through your word. Let your Spirit speak to me through your word today. And I'll guarantee you, He will speak to you. But in First Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul says, we receive the Holy Spirit that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We've been given the Holy Spirit that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We could tell you, we could write it down, we could send you an email with it, but unless the Holy Spirit takes it and, and makes it real in your heart, we're never going to get it. But that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We ask Lord God, send your spirit upon us. Send your spirit to me, Lord, that I may walk in your graces today. Let your Holy Spirit have control of my life today, O God. Just a couple more things here about the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, we read that the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. We had a few of them in operation this morning. Romans 14, 17, we read that the Spirit of the Lord gives joy to the church. We certainly need the joy of the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 3 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. So we, we need the Holy Spirit for all of the above. So the Holy Spirit was all over Christmas, and we need the same Holy Spirit working in our lives today. The third aspect of the, of the overview is that there's always consequences to sin. That should get a little amen right there. 
Oh, more like, amen. Like, uh, yes, I know, Lord, but <laughs> there's always consequences. But I, I would have to tell you, 1 John 1, 9 is absolutely legit and powerful and necessary. If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So pick up your cross and get on with it and go with God. However, there are oftentimes consequences to the sin. So Zacharias's situation, man, he couldn't talk for nine months. I think that's so cool. <laughs> I mean, we can't even get off of Facebook for a day. You know what I mean? We are so communicating all the time, it's ridiculous. But this poor soul couldn't talk for nine months, and uh, verses 19 and 20 and so on. But, but I feel like, you know, and another thing is that Gabriel apparently was given this authority to do that. I'm Gabriel. I'm telling you, you won't talk anymore. So he was commissioned by God to do what he, what he had to do. But I, almost like Gabriel saying to, to, to Zacharias, you, you know, you think you know so much. You're so busy in what you're doing at the temple. You always have something to say. You have a lot of knowledge, but you don't have faith to believe that your wife's going to have a baby. I'll, I'll tell you what, you won't be able to talk for nine months. That's pretty awesome. And, and so uh, reminds me of a couple of scriptures. Uh, Psalm 46, verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. <laughs> Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. We know that first part. The Lord will fight for you. Only you be quiet. Here's a paraphrase, and I don't mean this to be crude or anything, but the Lord is saying, shut up, sit down and shut up. Just sit down and shut up. Just, just sit down, don't say a word, and just listen. So if I ever say that to somebody, I'm under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> Pastor Rick, I'm anointed. <laughs> I, I heard, I memorized this saying as a teenager, and I thought it was a Bible verse, but apparently it's not. It, it's uh, accredited to either Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain. I looked it up. It's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> All right, take your Bible. Turn with me to, to Psalm number 18. Psalm 18, and then we're going to look at Hebrews 12 just for a minute. I don't want to get too bogged down in it, but something really interesting about Psalm 18. Something that I've kind of, uh, I wasn't sure about for a long time. Because I don't want to think that how I do things affects how God does things, but in reality, it does. And this is a hard, this is a good, a good verse if we're, if we're in righteousness with God. Anyway, let me, so Psalm 18, verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I've not acted wickedly nor departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him. I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. That's a pretty powerful scripture. We also know that David had another side to him, 
when the Lord did discipline him and did chasten him when he was disobedient. But at this point in Psalm 18, he's saying, I did everything right and God blessed me for how I was living and how I was doing things. That's a good, a good thing to remember. If we want God's blessing, we, we know this anyway. We, we must be walking in obedience to him. There is blessing associated with that. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. just want to show you something really quickly. Because when there's sin and there's forgiveness, what I'm saying is there's often chastening. Chastening from the Lord. You're forgiven, but there's consequences. So verse number 7, Hebrews 12, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a, uh, whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Ouch. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So in Zechariah's case, he was forgiven. The Lord loved him. You know, he was all right, but there was consequences to pay. The chastening in that case was he couldn't talk. And, and, and then, so the story kind of, uh, where am I here? It goes back to uh, after Zacharias, you know, said his name was John, he began to praise God. And then in verses uh, 67 and 68, he begins to uh, proclaim what we call the song of Zacharias. So uh, the consequences should be, should be such that it leads us to a closer walk with the Lord, not a, not a distant walk from the Lord. So, you know what I mean? So a lot of times people will go through something and they'll have a problem. And, and so the church will bring discipline or bring correction to them. And most of the time, their first reaction is, I'll see you later. I'm out the door. But the ones that stay put, the ones that work it out with fear and trembling and sit under the teaching of the word of God, they're better for it in the long run. So I'm just saying Zacharias is a good example for a, a, a Christian person serving God, doing what he could do, but had moments of doubt. And I think we all can relate to that. But when he was chastened by the Lord, he did not run away. He stayed put and got better. And when the time came, he opened up his mouth and gave praise to God. And that, then he writes the song of Zacharias, which we still read today, some 2,000 years later. So I want to I wanna, uh, read this song of Zacharias. It's uh, chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. It'll be on the screen. And then I want to make some, um, some application to it before we uh, conclude this sermon. So, but I just want to emphasize this. Zacharias has not been able to speak for nine months. And now through his obedience, he calls the baby John and so forth. He's praising God. And now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy. And this is what he says. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. What a great way to start. Just blessed are you, O God. You are blessed. You are holy. You are righteous. For he has visited and redeemed his people. 
and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the, since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. He's just proclaiming the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the ability of God to restore a people, bring the people back to him. And then in verse number 76, he gets personal and he starts prophesying over his baby. Fathers, I would really encourage you to pray and prophesy over your children as the Lord would give you direction to do that. But he says, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring or the dawn from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here is Zacharias. His first words after being shut up for nine months is a prophetic word to the Lord. And then it says, it concludes in verse number 80, the child grew, became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel, which was when he was around 30 years old. So 30 years went by before uh, John began his ministry. And so thus, thus is the story of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But I want to give you three things to, to, to really think about here. Um, regarding this whole story. And I think in this day and age, I really think it's important to hear what I'm about to say. I have a feeling that the people that really need to hear it are not here today, which is a shame. So I'm commissioning you to tell everybody that you know what I'm about to say. This reminds me of another thing. I told a brother this week, because uh, he told me, I-, I heard gossip at the church. I said, I want to tell you what Jim Symbolist said to his congregation at Brooklyn Tabernacle many years ago. He said, as a member of this church, you're being commissioned by me. When someone gossips, you you need to tap them on the shoulder and say, "Uh, brother or sister, we don't do that here. Because this brother's complaining to me. All right. So do you hear what I'm saying? I, I say, look, I'm commissioning you to tell that person. I don't know who it was. You're a member of this church. You're commissioned to represent me in the Lord. You tell that person, we don't do that here. In the same way, I'm going to, I'm asking you, I'm commissioning you to share this, these three points that won't be long with people that you know that need, that you think need to hear this message. You get that? I'm commissioning you. I'm saying, I'm pleading with you. I never, I never do this. You know that I never say this, but I'm saying it today. People need to hear what I'm about to say. I really, I'm convicted of it. The first thing is this. It's so important to be involved in your local church. And I know that goes against the grain for a lot of people. They don't like this one, they'll go to that one. They don't like that one, they'll go to that one. They don't have a local church. They belong to the church. Like up up in the sky somewhere. Who's your pastor? Who are your leaders? Who's teaching? Who's speaking into your life? Oh, the guy out in California. Oh, the guy out in Arizona. The guy out in North Carolina. I don't know. Just people speaking into my life. I'm saying, all right, you know what? When you're sick, I say this all the time. When you're sick, they're not going to come visit you. When you have a baby, they're not going to come pray over your baby. 
You know, when you want to, your kids want to get married, they're not going to come out here to marry your kids. You need a pastor and a church that knows you and you know them. And I, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm so convicted of this. I'm so convicted of this. We live in a day when people don't want to hear about it. Because they want to be independent. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do. What I'm telling you is the word of God. You got to be connected. God designed it that way. It's not the pastor's idea. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't think of it. But God thought of it. He has his church. And he has little fellowships all over the world that congregate together to be taught, to be discipled, to be instructed in righteousness. It can't happen in a mass scale like that. If it could happen, he would have done it that way. He always designed the local church to build up people. And I love what God has done here, as a matter of fact. We have a couple of things going. I, I kind of brag on this a little bit, not, not on me, but on our people, that we sent out the Newmans to Georgetown and the Whiteheads to uh, Manchester and uh, the Strumflers to um, India. We got our brother Jesus doing leaving the streets. We got Wayne doing the cafe. We got a lot of good stuff going on here. You know, we have so many volunteers either with leaving the streets or common ground or somebody cares that are going out and doing things. That's the way it should be. Absolutely. That's the way it should be. And I'll tell you another thing that if you ever find people that are struggling, I'll guarantee they are not plugged into a church. And they're going from here to there, trying to find the right pastor or the right group of people or the right situation so that they feel better. And it's never going to work that way. It's never going to work. I I commend people. I tell them privately. I don't want to speak publicly. I commend people that go through problems and stay put in their church, whether it's this one or another one. They just stay put and they work it out. They are better off in the long run than those that will fly away and try to get help somewhere else and leave things undone in their church. So Zacharias, he stayed put. He stayed in his place of ministry. From this, we can learn that we need to stay put and have a place that we belong to. I remember when I first got saved many years ago, my pastor said, "Uh, Rick, you should become a member of the church. I said, why? He said, because it's a good step for you to get plugged in where you're held accountable for what you do. And, you know, that's all he had to say. The Holy Spirit bore witness in my heart. Yeah, why should I should belong to a church? He said, then when you go places and you you meet people, you can say, "I, I belong to this church. It's a good thing for you to belong to a church. I don't know what happened to that logic with people. Everyone's afraid to say where you belong. I'm not afraid to say I belong here. I'm called here. This is my church. If I wasn't the pastor and I lived here, I would come here. (laughs) This is a good church. It's not a perfect church. It's a good church. You know, things are happening. But but we live in a culture, I'm telling you, all this stuff, you read it too, all over social media. No one wants to get, no one wants to make that commitment, it seems. Not everyone, but there's some. But here we see in Luke 1.6, Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, they're righteous people. They're good people. They're walking after God. They're doing the best they can. And they had their own problems to deal with. I'm telling you, when you have problems to deal with, you need to be plugged into a local church. Absolutely. Where you can talk and pray and worship and have fellowship and so forth. Ephesians 4.11 tells us that Jesus gave to the church 
some to be prophets and apostles and evangelists. And he gave some to take care of the local church. They're called pastors and teachers. Why would he do that if the local church wasn't important? So this is very important information. And I know I'm fighting against a culture that says, I'm independent. I don't need you or anybody else. I'm walking with Jesus. I hear it all the time. I'm saying it's good you're walking with Jesus, but who's holding your hand in the flesh? I don't need anybody. I'll give you about six months. A year, maybe. So Ephesians 4.11, he's given pastors and teachers for what? For what? To make you feel good? No, to equip you. To equip the people for the work of ministry. Until we all come to a place of unity in serving the, God, in serving the Lord. So, so now, now, like, so we have, we have this situation culturally where, where pastors are like, there there was a time, actually, I remember my former pastor many years ago said he was called for jury duty. And, uh, he, he was going to appeal to the judge because he was a minister not to, uh, not to be able, not to stand for jury duty because he had other responsibilities. And that judge looked at him and and he said, you know what, that might have worked a while ago, but that doesn't work anymore. You're just like everybody else. What I'm saying is there's a, there's a cultural thing in the, in the, in the society and in the church, because it comes from the church, where pastors are not respected as they used to be or as they should be. I'm not looking for anything, believe me. And by the way, thank you for Pastor Appreciation Day last week. It was wonderful. I, I do appreciate it. I'm not looking, looking for anything. I'm just saying, like, you all are good. You know what I mean? It's the people that are not here that I'm concerned about. But I want you to, that's why I want you to take this message, because you could reach a lot more people than I can reach. When Paul wrote the epistles to the church of Rome, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Corinth, to the church of the churches of Galatia, in Revelation, to the church of Smyrna, of Philadelphia, of Sardis, to the church of Antioch, or the church of whatever, Athens, There's always a church in a a city. And those churches had pastors and teachers and leaders. And so what I'm saying is, from this passage of Zacharias, I I learned that being involved in a local church like he was, was very crucial and important. I look at it like this, like Zacharias had this great failure, and yet he stayed in the church. And out of that Out of that commitment, the Lord blessed him, opened his big mouth, and gave him a prophetic word that we're still still talking about. There's something about hanging in there and letting God do what God wants to do. Amen. 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 Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, a guide to my path. See, in a local church... We always say this, the word of God is the most important thing. You're, you're going to get the word of God. You're going to get the word of God. And so let the local church speak into your lives. And when, it, when it's time to leave, you know, do it the right way. First of all, let somebody know would be a good way to start. Second of all, let us send you out with our blessing and our covering. I'm so happy we sent the Newmans out, the Whiteheads out, Strumflers out. It's so good to do that. It's so healthy to do that, you know. Send them out with your blessing, and uh, everything's good. The the kingdom is advancing. Okay, number two is this. Great things happen in God's house. 
for Zacharias. He was in there burning the incense, had answered prayer, came, a specific thing about his son, and his sin was exposed. That's, I want to get back to that point. The things that happen in God's house are not always like to make you feel good. <laughs> like when I go to, a, if I visit a church, I hear somebody preach, man, I want my heart to break. I want my heart to be cut. I want to, I want the word of God to say, man, you are so wrong about that. I want to be, I want to feel God in this. You know what I mean? So Zacharias, he, he was convicted, but in the house of God, you know, great things happen. Psalm 122, one, one of my favorite verses. I was glad when they said, I was glad when they said, Let's go to the house of the Lord. Come on, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. And by golly, I'll get there on time next Sunday. Somebody say amen to that. Why are you glad? Why are you glad? Why? I remember as a new Christian, I was genuine. I didn't know that scripture back in those days. I was genuinely glad to go to church. Pam, you know, I was, we were glad to, we were happy to go to church. Can't wait to Sunday. And in those days, Man, I can't wait till Wednesday because I need a midweek shot in the arm to get me through the rest of the week. Not so much anymore today, but it's all right. God is still faithful. But I was genuinely glad. Why are you glad to go to church? Man, because people are praising God. People are reading. I remember people carried their Bibles to church. That was a new one on me. I never knew that until I was 26 years old. People brought their Bible to church. I was glad to be in that environment. People singing, musicians playing. People praying over people. You know, I was glad to be in that presence of faith, that atmosphere of faith. And, 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 and the preacher was preaching the word of God. He didn't, he didn't care about a lot of things. He didn't care how long he preached back in those days. He didn't care that someone was getting convicted by the Holy. He just preached the word of God. And I'm sitting there saying, man, where have I been all my life? I didn't know church was like this. But I was glad. I'm still glad to go to the house of the Lord. Amen over there. Hallelujah. God bless that little guy right there. Why are you glad? There's singing there. There's praying there. The word is there. Meet friends there. Eat food there sometimes. You get joy there. You get hope there. You get convicted there. You get right there. Hebrews 10.25, I said it last week, my paraphrase. So give me a little grace on this. The paraphrase, it says, uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Is this the manner of some? Especially as you see the day of the Lord appearing. Get together to stir up love and good works. My paraphrase is very simple. Go to church. Just go to church. All right. <laughs> that, that guy's got a heart for the Lord right there. He's got ears to hear and a mouth to speak. <laughs> so, you know, people say, I don't need to go to church. I don't see that in the Bible. I just don't see it. I see just the opposite in the Bible. Assemble. Does it have to be in the church? No, it doesn't have to be in the church. They did do it on the first day of the week, though. Something can be said about that. The point is, get together with people. You know, work it out. Oh, I don't like that church. I don't like that guy. Oh, come on. Get over it. He may not like you either, but he comes. 
So, so miracles happen. In, you know, someone said to me last week, they were talking to somebody else. There were three of us after the early service. And this guy said to the other guy, oh, the second service is really powerful. I've been carrying that all week long. Because he, he, he reminded me how powerful things are. When people are praying and worshiping and hearing the word and responding to God's presence, it's a powerful, I, we could maybe get used to it. Or for some people, this blows people away right here. They're not used to it. But it's the power of God that happens in a church service. I, I think I'm old school in that, as, as a matter of fact. Like, I believe, I believe church should be an event. <laughs> I, I do. Just like I told Jesus, I, I don't go out on Saturday nights. I'm getting ready for Sunday. Sunday to me is, is game day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. I, I'm, I'm like, I am geared up. I'm, I'm like hyped up. I'm, I'm focused. I have to be focused. I have to take my whole day Saturday usually to get my head and spirit right because I know Sunday's coming. But see, great things happen in churches. They should. I don't, I don't think I could ever go to a church where you just kind of go there and sit there and listen and sing a couple of songs and hear a 10-minute, 15-minute thing and go home and shake somebody's hand. I don't think that would do it for me. But I don't see that in the Word of God. I see, I see the Scripture. I was glad when they said, let's go. Why? Man, because there's life there. Because all week long I've been getting beat up by the world. I need to be in the presence of God. I've had enough of the world. I've had enough of people. Ah, I just need God. I just need God. So I was glad, and I'm going to keep going to church. Miracles happen. You know, marriages happen in church. Babies that get, babies get dedicated in church. Water baptisms happen in that tank over there. You know, the Spirit of God moves. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not... A lot of great things happen in church. Just pray that they happen at the early service, then we'll really be doing something there. Okay, the third thing is this. The last thing is this. We've got to somehow get to a place where we understand... Our failures could be the greatest opportunity for God to correct and fix what's wrong with us. Our failure does not define us, and our failure does not limit what God wants to do with us. When we look at the Bible, Noah sinned with drunkenness. Abraham lied a few times. Moses killed a man and had an anger problem. David had an anger problem too, but committed adultery and had her husband murdered. Peter denied the Lord. Paul persecuted the church. Timothy was unmotivated, it seems. Great criteria for leaders of the church, right? But their failure didn't define them. So Zacharias, he failed. He questioned, I mean, really, he questioned an angel. Like, really? If I saw an angel, I think I'd fall down. Whatever you say, <laughs> whatever. But he questioned an angel, and yeah, so there were repercussions. But, but you know what? He turned his failure around. He stuck with it. Nine months. Can you imagine not speaking for nine months? Let me just go back to that for a minute. Oh, uh, some people say, no way, I can't do that. How about uh, nine minutes? I can't even do that. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, he hung in there. He stayed there. He stayed in there. He stayed with his wife, he stayed with the temple, he stayed with his culture, he stayed with his faith. And when it was done, when he, was, when he could talk, he, notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, could you believe God did that to me? Could you believe that angel, Gabriel? Who does he think he is making my mouth shut like that? 
He praised God. He was probably waiting for nine months. I can't wait to just praise God. And he did. And what did God do for in, re, in return? He anointed him, filled him with the Holy Spirit, right? 60, verse 67, 68. And Zacharias begins to prophesy the song of Zacharias. Uh, we have to get to a point where we turn our failure around to some type of a victory or some type of a growth in our, in our lives. Again, John 1, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse our sin. Every great man or woman of God has had some type of failure. One of the best messages I ever heard was, uh, was delivered by a, one of the directors of Teen Challenge many years ago. I forget the name of it, but it was something about the power of failure. And he listed and he preached on all these people in the Bible that failed. And man, people were crying after they heard that. Like people were so convicted. Because what we do, we let our failure be our ammunition to not do anything. I can't do that. Look at me, you know. Well, join the club. Well, none of us have arrived. It's just what we do with it, with our situation. Proverbs twenty four sixteen says this: A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity or by happenstance and not be able to get up. A righteous man may fall, but a righteous man gets up again and again and again and again and again. Righteous man keeps on going. So we need to turn our our failure into a victory. And as as, as I like to say, turn our victory into a song, not a literal song, but let your life be a song of praise to the Lord. A little poetic there, you know, a little poetic, but, but let your life be a praise to the Lord. Let your life reflect the glory of God that in spite of your failure and your weakness, God has picked you up and God has not forsaken you and he won't. And I've hung on to the Lord. Let that become your song. Let that become your testimony. So in summary, the song of Zacharias, the importance of the local church and the expectation of being involved in a church. You know, I always tell people Sunday morning service begins on Saturday night when you get your head together, when you get your spirit together. But when you come to church, please come expecting God to do something. We're not the type of church where we, you know, this is not a formality. This is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday we encounter the Holy Spirit. So come expecting God to do something. Don't come, you know, just just expect God to move. And then... Somehow we need to turn it around, our failure, our shortcomings, turn them around and be empowered by the fact that God, in spite of our weakness, still loves us, still wants to use us. So the the story ends here, if you look in your Bible, or it's on the screen, uh, verse number 79. Now Zacharias is is still prophesying, proclaiming the Lord. And he says, the Lord Jesus will come to give light to those who sit in, in darkness and sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, right? That's what Jesus has done. But now Jesus has commissioned us to do that. We are now called to speak light in the darkness, to guide people into a living relationship with the Lord. And we'll never do a good job of that if we're not right with God. 
If we're not consecrated, like Zacharias hung in there and he was able to, to do that. We need to, all of the above, we need to just get it ready, just, just submit to God and be used by God to tell somebody else about his wonderful salvation and his wonderful mercy, especially as Christmas is upon us. So you can take this message, uh, those three points, you could, you could condense them. Tell somebody that you know what Pastor Rick said. I'll be ready for a phone call or whatever. doesn't matter. I don't care. doesn't matter. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Because I really believe this is the word of God. I believe it with all my heart. Why don't we stand together? We're going to pray. I see our sister Diane there, uh, Rosetti. Uh, Diane's mom had passed away this week. I want to pray for you and your family. Um, if we could be of help, let us know in the, in the week ahead. Every head bowed for just a moment. Last week, I, we entitled the message, Where are the Shepherds Today? I wonder if there's any Zacharias's here today. In other words, you're serving God, you're doing your thing, but there's pockets of your faith that are empty. There's th- certain things that you're, you know, and you know God's dealing with you. The first thing would be to recognize what's going on. Is there anyone like that? Raise your hand if that's you. It's just, I have faith, but there's some areas that I just don't know. I don't understand. Okay. All right. I wonder if there's anyone here today that for the first time ever, you feel like you, you need to give your life to God. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. In spite of your doubt, you have more faith than doubt. And the Lord is always waiting for someone to say, Lord, I want to trust you. Is there anyone like that? For the first time, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the message of Zacharias and the fact that he lifted up a song, a prophetic song to you. And for the people there, Lord, you used him. In spite of his shortcomings, you used him. I pray, Lord, that that reality would burn in our hearts, that in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our even our unbelief at times, even as we deal with the chastening of the Lord, we hang in there, we hang tough, we hang in there, we fight the good fight. We're to trust you, Lord, to raise us up to be a vessel that you would use to proclaim your love and your mercy. Lord, I pray for those that raise their hands that may be having a faith crisis, that may be wondering, Lord, why this? Why that? Why didn't that happen the way, uh, the way I thought it would? Or why this in my family? Or what about my financial situation? Or so many things. Lord, help faith to arise within us. To trust you. 